Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Joining me this week is a great friend of mine and my former producer of The Celebrity Apprentice, Marion Farrelly. Maz is a very successful TV producer, having run massive reality shows like Big Brother, The X Factor, Dancing with Stars and Q&A. She's interviewed more than 10,000 applicants for those TV shows and heard a lot of pictures and heard a lot of bullshit. She's now switched her focus to a training business called Absolutely Farrelly. She helps the corporate world get their messaging right to get attention and, more importantly, buy-in from the public. She also runs workshops to help people now their elevator pitch. She should be talking to governments too because governments need to get their pitches right and their messaging. Can't wait to chat to Maz, so let's get into it. Maz, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. Don't be so subdued. It's not you. <laughs> Look, I'm starting off nice. I'm going yeah. to keep myself nice. And um, Alison, my business partner, said, try not to swear. And she comes from Glasgow. So that's a big call. It's a big call from a Scotswoman. Yeah, my parents uh, were Irish, so obviously. Well, with a good combination. I, look, I, I have to disclose early that um, Marion Farrelly, Maz, known to me and others, um, was a producer of uh, a show I was on many years ago um, and a great producer at that. Um, but also, I consider her a good friend. Um, she's a pretty wild. Uh, woman, uh, she she really is. I mean, wild in her intellect and the way she goes on about her life. I mean, she's out there. She's uh, does things differently to everybody else. But I also remember her as a great communicator. But the other thing I really do remember is how clever she is with people. And I remember on many occasions when, many occasions when uh, Matt, I used to have a, a bug in my ear during the series when Maz was the producer. So I used to have a, where a bug in me when I was in the boardroom scenes and Maz would be talking into my ear and she would know when someone's about to cry and she would, she would coax me along <laughs> as to how to, well, let's not call it manipulate, but let's produce. call it produce the best out of the people in the show, namely celebrities. She was a genius at it actually about saying, just say, how do you feel right now? And when obviously they feel like crap, and uh, and they would inevitably burst into tears, male and female, without just there was a hundred percent success rate. She was very good at sitting in that producer's box, which was like a a room out the back, and she could pick the people better than I could. And I think it's got something to do with what Maz is doing now, um, and that is being able to relate to people. And also know your audience. So, I, I I guess first thing let's let's get it settled, Maz. Why don't you tell me about your background, TV? Let's let's. I want people who are listening to this to understand your background because that actually gives relevance and um, proportion to why you're doing what you're doing now. So, I'd like you to go through that. Yeah, it does make sense. It's kind of been a long journey. So, I trained as a journalist and I worked in fashion. And Naomi Campbell did her first ever job with me. So I am 600 years old. She's now 500 <laughs> years old. She came into the office in her school uniform. And she was singularly the most beautiful person I think I've ever seen in my life. Astoundingly beautiful. Um, and my agent at the time was a woman called Lynn Franks. And Absolutely Fabulous is based on her. So I watch it and I think it's a documentary. And everyone else is laughing. I think, why is this funny? And my first job in TV, I called the production manager and I'd lived this absolutely fabulous life. 
And I called and I said, I think I might be in the wrong hotel. I think I think I might have gone to the wrong place. Can you just check for me? And they said, is it a shithole? I said, yeah, it is. And they said, you're in the right hotel. <laughs> Welcome to television. Yeah. And that was the start. And Completely. I know what it's about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shitholes. Everyone always thinks it's really glamorous. No. It's the least glamorous job Correct. on earth. I mean, literally. Um, yeah, and I just, I worked, I think I worked harder than everyone else. I looked around and I thought, I'm going to try harder than all of you. And I, I have this thing. I did this the show called The Recruit with Michael Voss, uh, AFL legend. Mm-hmm. And he, I think, nailed it for me. He said, you just have to try 1% harder. And if you try 1% harder, you're better. And there's this lovely story about, you know, we all know uh, two people in the jungle and there's a lion and someone's putting their running shoes on. He goes, you'll never outrun the lion. And they go, yeah, I only need to outrun you. Yeah, correct. And I think for me, that's business. You just got to try a tiny bit harder. I tried a tiny bit harder. So I started um on a daily show i went to the next daily show which is great because when you do a daily show you mess up very quickly and you want to mess up as quickly as you can because you want to get good and i think you know in my life i think i've learned more from my failures than successes because when things are the number one show uh you just sit back and you go it's obviously because i'm a genius yeah (laughs) Uh, but when things don't work you know you forensically analyze it and i think that forensic analysis really works um so you're like that though so, oh yeah, I'm uh, really a detail person. Right. So, because yeah. that's interesting, because you come across as, oh, it's okay, and uh, you know, it's all water off a duck's back, and I'm fine. You never seem to get uh, flustered, or, or, or you don't let people hustle you. But deep down, you're analyzing, doing the analytics in your own mind. Do you do do you pour over it at night, and when you're on your own? I do this thing where I say, uh, hope for the best, plan for the worst. So everything we do is like a tree. And if we walk, you know, if we follow the trunk, there are a million branches coming off it. And we have to be prepared for all of those. So when we did the show that we did together, you know, we were in the boardroom, you'd kind of know how it was going to work because you need to, because there are three cameramen pointing at 12 people. You need to know who's going to speak at which point, uh, because otherwise the cameras can't find them. And you know, even down to the detail of, so this is the difference, you know, a good producer, a bad producer, uh, a bad producer will say to you, just say, I want to know about this, Jim. Yeah. Now, when you do that, the cameraman doesn't know who you're talking to. No idea. They can't take a shot. But if you go, Jim, camera on Jim, I want to talk to you about something. You get the shot. So it's that it's those tiny. Little it's only a fine details. thing, but it's a big deal. It is. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to uh, get me to turn back, come up the next day, and do what they call pickups, and yeah. and, and and sort of fake it a bit. And it never comes across right. You does can't it? fake it. No. You know, you, audiences don't know, but they know. Yeah. They can't tell you. We can because yeah. we've done a lot of it. So you yeah. can say that was a pickup. Yeah. That was different. You know, this didn't fit in here. They've slotted that in. But audiences don't know, but they absolutely know. They can't tell you what they was wrong They get a gut it. feeling. They get it, yeah. yeah. And you've got to trust your gut. I'll tell you this really um, – I've started telling stories already. I do apologize. But that's good. I'm a real storyteller. Um, but that's what pitches are about, which is where we're going to end up. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the things that's really important in life is to trust your instinct. And I think – Kids do it, animals do it, and it's kind of knocked out of us a little bit as we grow grow up, um, and you become a little intellectual, and or not in my case. Um, and when I did Big Brother in the UK, and it was hugely popular, and there were about ten of us on it, and we thought maybe about ten thousand people would apply. A hundred and ten thousand people applied. There were ten of us in the office. So what you're talking about now is the uh, auditioning. The auditioning. Yeah. So 110,000 people applied. So you put something out online or on the show or in the in the TV program, yeah. saying if you'd like to be on Big Brother, please apply. Please send. And it was um, at the time. I think it was about 2002, 2003. So there weren't really that many smartphones, um, and we said please send us a video, and we thought no one would because you'd have to get a camera and you know, uh, 30,000 people sent in videos. 30,000, there were 10 of us. So we employed more producers and we were legally obliged to watch everything. So we said, first minute, which is a big lesson in life, first minute, 
just watch the first minute. And if you like them, get me over and have a look. Okay, can I just stop you there? Because I think it's important for people listening to say, you and I understand what you're talking about. I think, well, I just want to get the context here, yeah, Maz. So, it's so important. I want to get context here. What happens for a show like Big Brother or Celebrity Apprentice in our case or dancing or X Factor? I think you need to explain that how you find the talent. Yeah, so something like Big Brother, we do it in two ways. So the first one, sometimes we do open auditions, and we did open auditions in Australia, and we would interview maybe, we probably have about four or 5,000 people turn up. Yep. We'd one-on-one interview maybe, I'd say probably a 1,000. So how do you get from 4,000 to 1,000? So, for example, how do you select that 1,000 out of 4,000? In the, because I'm a detail person, uh, in the open auditions, so I think we did three years of open auditions, uh, we would get people to queue up outside and I would put my producers in the queue and I would say, who are the angry ones? Who's arcing up? Who's complaining? Who's funny? Who's getting the crowd all jolly? Because I want to know if you walk in and you say, I am the life and soul of the party. I want to know you really are. Mm. So if you've been standing outside and you haven't spoken to anyone for four hours, because that's how long you are in the queue for, I know. And I'll say, you know, well, here's a funny thing. When you were out in the queue outside, you didn't utter a word. So I like to know, you know, about those people. Um, from then, they'll go into a big room and play games. And, it, you know, you don't want 12 people who are jazz hands because that's not a cast. Mm. You know, you cast it like a drama. You want people who are quiet, angry, so friendly. Yeah. It's going to be a storyline. You build it around the glue. So, you know, when we did uh, Celebrity Apprentice, the first one, Julia Morris was the glue, really, yeah. wasn't she? You know, she just, she was a great narrator. She a go-to person. Yeah. She'd tell you the truth. You know, Roxy was, you wanted the truth. You just go, Roxy, tell me what happened. And she's straight in there. But you're looking you know? in that when you were casting for that, for, I mean, we used to get thousands of people. Yeah. To, how, how did you, did you, you were saying you went and looked for certain types of characters? Yeah. And stories. Yeah, do you know, on Big Brother, by the time they got to me, they'd been through about five rounds. Yeah. And I would say the same thing to everyone because everyone has to have the same brief because it's fair. We would say, you have a minute to tell us about you. One minute. Tell me something different, why you are different to all the other people out there. Don't tell me you're the life and soul of the party. You're a real people person. I want to travel. I want to meet new people. If you want to do that, go on holiday because yeah. you're going to meet 12 people over a period of 100 days. It's not going to be interesting. Um, and the people that really stood out for me are the people who listened to the brief because I think TV is just like business. They listen to the brief. Uh, we had one of my favourites was a girl called Geneva. And I said, don't tell me, you know, you're the same as everyone else. Tell me why you're different. Why are you different to all the other people out there? And she stood in front of me. She thought for a second and she said, well, basically, I am a lesbian, but I can't seem to give up cock. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, what? I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said, yeah, like, I'm just a really bad lesbian. And great. We had a guy come in. He'd been to something like 60 countries. He was smoking hot. He was single. And I said, you're so well-traveled. You're beautiful. How come you're single? And he was a farmer. And he sent him pictures of him on a horse. And we were going, man, can't wait for him to come in. And um, he said, you know, it's hard to find a farmer's wife when you're looking for a man. <laughs> what a killer line. <laughs> I love but it. you know what? I think in business, we teach elevator pitching. Yeah. You've got to have it. I mean, you talk about it a lot. You've got to have your one line. You've got to stand out. So people would come in and they'd say, you know, well, I am a people person. You've got to stop. When you say that, you sound like everybody on earth. Yeah. You've got to be really careful. And we call it prime real estate. You know, the first few seconds with someone, it's that prime real estate. You've got to know your line and get in there really quickly. So as a producer, Maz, you've, and I was reading in the brief, that you've probably listened to over 100,000 pitches. Uh, I'd say easy squeezy. And I have interviewed, we counted one day, I mean, in excess of 10,000 people. So I'm a point, because I think I'm a genius, I think I should be a cop, Um I'm at a point now where people walk in to auditions and I start writing before they've spoken because I've done it for so long now that I look at them and I think, oh, you're angry. And I reckon if we scratch the surface, you'd fire up. Mm. And I reckon that if we did anything that you thought wasn't fair, 
you'd get all the others mm. up against us, which I love. Yeah, you know, I love shop steward, love those too. Absolutely. I mean, they're just great characters. And I wrote all this, and the guy who was working with me, Luke, uh, genius, he said to me, what are you writing? And so I'm writing about old mate here. He hasn't spoken. Come on, look at him, you know. And I said to the bloke, first thing I said to him is, when was the last time you arced up at someone? When was the last time you had a bit of a blue? He went, oh, last night, my um, housemate, he was smoking in the doorway. The smoke was coming in. I hate that. I thought, do you know what? You're in. Yeah. You're on. He was in. And I'd written down, sexy as hell, chicks will love him, Uh, blokes will want to go for a beer with him. And uh, all of my chick friends are going, tell me about his old mate single. Great. Got it. So I think we all have the ability to do it. It's just that I do it for a living. And so you're trained, you're trained yourself and others are trained. You've just done through experience. So you've got this ability to suss people out. So, and you've done all, you heard all these pitches. And one minute, it's interesting about one minute because I'm always talking about one, two minutes maximum. Yeah. So what you've done, you've turned that into a business now. Yeah. Well, in our world, and you'll know this because you're in the same world, you were, you know, feet in both camps. If you're not interesting in the first minute in TV, no one stays for the second minute. Yeah. And I'll sit in edits and people will say, it gets really interesting three minutes in. I go, great, we're going to write to everyone in the country and say, I know the first two minutes are dull. Three minutes in, it's fascinating. Mm. Do stay with us. Of course not. You've got to make the first minute fascinating. And that minute buys me the next minute. And that minute buys me the next minute. And eventually, you'll put the remote down, probably. And then I've got you. But then I have to keep you. Because if I have a commercial break, I've got to make sure you don't go anywhere. So we say we get people to do what we want them to do, but they think they want to do it. Hmm. And it's a fine, you know, we always say hope is not a strategy and it isn't. You've got to make people want to do what you want them to do. We want people to watch TV and they could be out selling cracked kiddies or sleeping with their neighbours. They've got a lot of stuff they could be doing rather than watching us, but we make them watch it. And you, and it's not. I'm going to fall short of saying it's manipulation. Um, I just think it's, um, it's interesting. I think I was going to say it's in sort of intelligent management, because you know you're, you're what you're trying to do. You've got an audience here in TV, at least you've got an audience there. Maz, you know their, what their expectations are, and you also know that you need to keep them because if you don't keep them, there's no advertising, no advertising, no TV show, yeah. and a story. So you've got to keep them. Um, up, you've got to keep them, get them to watch the show, you've got to keep them with the show every week and you've got to keep them after the ad break. So you know what they're looking for, so you just deliver it. Now, now, what are the deliverables? Is it, like, just t- take me through this. It's it's obviously a bit of drama, a bit of theatre, storytelling, you know. Um, what are the sorts of things? Because, I mean, I guess those sorts of things, are the types of characteristics you're showing people how to put into their pitch in yeah. business. Is that, would that be right? It's exactly that because we pitch all the time yep. in our world. You know, in pitch TV. TV shows. You pitch TV shows. We pitch TV shows. We pitched, I think, seven last week. We were in at the ABC and a company called Matchbox yesterday. You know, we pitch constantly. Uh, you have a minute. Really what we call it is sticky information. You want information to stick and we all do. You know, we all talk, but you want to be heard and you want to be listened to. And you want to be, you want your audience to be engaged. If you're going to talk, what's the point in talking unless it's engaging? Mm. And how many people do you know who'll say, I'm off to a, insert the word, boring meeting? Mm. I'm off to a boring meeting. I've meeting. done, I say so it all the time. Yeah. I'm off to a conference, it's going to be so boring. Yeah. No, it's absolutely unacceptable. If you're inviting people into a room, you have to make it interesting for yeah. them. It's unacceptable. If someone, you're giving someone 90 seconds of your time 90 seconds of your time is really important it's life-changing they have to deliver 90 seconds of interest we do we teach people an elevator pitch and we worked with this guy and he won't mind me saying this because uh, we just couldn't stop laughing we said give us your 90 second pitch you went well, like, i'm a director i tell stories with pictures and i'm very passionate about what i do and he told us this, I mean, literally, I can't remember a thing. He said, really general, right, you and every filmmaker I have ever met in my sweet life. I tell, of course you tell pictures, stories of pictures. Everyone does, they make you different. You know, I'm passionate. Who says I'm an unpassionate filmmaker? <laughs> like, no one does. But it would be more interesting if you did. So we knuckled down with him. Kind of, okay, so who have you directed? He said, well... Um, gave Sam Worthington his first job. 
Hello. You gave Sam Worthington his first job. You recognised that talent before anyone else. Number one. Number two. Who else have you worked with? She said, well, I've done everything, really. I, I um, And I said, yeah, what have you done on set? She said, I've done everything. I've cooked. I've been a driver. I went, who's you been a driver for? Because drivers are very interesting. Drivers get all the gossip because you forget the drivers in the front of the car. So on Celebrity Apprentice, I used to chat to mm. the drivers all the time. First thing in the morning, I go, who's angry? Who's happy? Who's bitching? I used to ask the makeup artist. Yeah, they always know as well. Because yeah. no one tells us <clears> the truth. People <throat> lie to us for a living. I always say to people, I'm lied to for a living. That's my job. No one tells us the truth. Um, and I said to this guy, you know, who have you worked with? And he said, oh, I was driver for Vin Diesel, but uh, not for very long. <laughs> All right. That'll do. What happened? He said, I was fired. Oh, what were you fired for? Literally the best line ever. Driving too fast. You were fired for driving Vin, Vin Diesel, Diesel too fast of all people back in sixty seconds, yeah, yeah. too fast. <clears throat> so that has to be, you know, why are you doing this movie? He said it's a movie about female heroes. And I said, do you, do you have a kid? He said, yeah, I have a daughter. I said, Tell me about her. And he said, well, one day I sat down with her and I said to her, "Who are your heroes?" She could she could name two, right, and then Taylor Swift and I like Michelle Obama, and that was it. And you ask a boy. And he's got 15 football yeah. people, and yeah. you know, he's got presidents and everyone in Marvel comics. Yeah. So we said to this guy, you know, then your pitches, you know, I gave Sam Worthington's first job. I'm a director. I recognize talent very well. I was once fired actually by Vin Diesel driving too fast. Shows you've got a sense of humor and you're a bit reckless. We like that. And I'm doing this movie because I want my kid, my daughter, to have some heroes. That's why I'm doing it. Mm. And suddenly, you have a backstory, and mm. I like you. And we said, when you send an email, it has to have an interesting line in there. It has to stand out from everybody else. And I said, um, tell me about, it's a, a movie about martial arts. And uh, we said to him, um, tell me about martial arts. And he said, oh, you know, you remember my partner, a tiny little woman. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, she can kill someone. Leave no trace and do it really quickly. Put that in your email. So he sent us the email that he was sending out and it was, you know, I am and I discovered Sam Worthington and I uh, was fired by Vin Diesel, a hero. And uh, if there's anyone in your office that's annoying you, I can show you how to kill them in 10 seconds, leave no trace. And the first person that he wanted to get into the room with wrote back and said, uh, there's someone in the office, give me the raving shits, come in. <laughs> Here they go. Gets them in the door. Yeah. When we uh, we do uh, this big conference every year, AIDC, uh, Australian International yep. Documentary Conference, and you know that every commissioning editor gets about 500 emails after. So everybody they've met emails them. And Alison, my business partner, who's just a genius, when she emails blokes afterwards, and I'm not suggesting you do this, ladies, but we do because we're a bit wrong, um, she uh, puts in the headline for the email, naked pictures of middle-aged ladies. Like, which email are you going to open first? Yeah, Our correct. One. Yeah. Yeah, because, you, because you're right. They, they're getting thousands of things every yeah, – So what you're sort of saying, out. Maz, is that um, <clears throat> what you do is you drag out of the person who's going to make the pitch, whatever the pitch might be, you drag out of them the sort of interesting things about them which, and you show them how to highlight those things in their pitch yeah. and make sure it's kept short. Yeah, so – we do what we call a one-pager, and everyone does a one-pager. It's just a different document. And everything you need to tell has to be on that one page. So we, have, we say to people, you have to have a great headline. So in TV, you know, things like Married at First Sight, yeah. great headline because yeah. you know exactly what it is. Uh, there's a show that's one of my favourites called Young, Dumb, Living Off Mum, and it's kids who are just bludging off their parents. You put them in a house and you watch them. Yeah. So a great headline buys you eyes going down to the visual put a great visual in there we're doing um this documentary called the vagina tax and it's about inequality and we found this picture that looks like a vagina but it's actually a beef sandwich and that's our picture because mm. you look at it and you go oh my god sort of an ugly vagina, but anyway. picture of a, a doodah in there <laughs> good lord um but it makes you look i've seen that i've actually I've seen yeah, you've seen that picture. My son's sort of send those things around sometimes on WhatsApp, just oh, yeah. as a joke. But yeah, I've seen that, those pictures. They're really good. Um, and they're, then, they're, they're clever. Yeah, they're smart. Yeah. 33, yeah, 33 foods that look like vaginas. And yeah. you're going to wait for that email, aren't you? Um, and then you have a paragraph. And you have to be able to describe your project, your service, your show, 
whatever it is, you've got to be able to describe it in a paragraph. And if you it's a really hard thing to do, really hard. And it's the thing that I always say when you write a new show, describing it in one sentence is agony. You know, it's so hard. If you had to describe the podcast in a sentence, it's really hard. Yeah. But you know what you have to, it's your job to do it. Well, changing people's lives is probably the way I look at it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I we're going to get the break because, like everybody else, we have um, sponsors and we have to pay our way. Hurrah. But I, I do want to just before I go to the break, I just want to finish on one thing because it's funny you should say what you said because you were, I don't think you did the you you came into the Apprentice a bit further down the track and Karen was Karen Warner was our first regent I think Love and her. Uh, but I tell you something interesting. Uh, Mark Fennessy um, in those days came to me in two thousand and nine. He said, "Mate." Would you like to do this TV show called The Apprentice? I've never done TV before. And I said, oh, I don't know. What is it? And he said, oh, well, I'll give you a, a DVD. It's this Donald Trump guy in America. You know, watch how he does the show. And I, and he gave me one with Alan Sugar, who I think is the gun. Love him. He's the best. And uh, so I watched both of them. Like I watched half an episode of Donald Trump. I couldn't watch any of I can't watch this. And then I watched uh, Alan Sugar and uh, I watched most of the Alan Sugar one. He said, look, we're just going to go and uh, pitch it to Channel 7 in those days. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, so I'm going to come in your office, my office, and uh, bring uh, some actors, one, two, three, five, six, and you be one of those guys, and uh, we'll do a, like a little pitch to Seven or whoever it is. He's, this is Fremantle in those days, Fremantle Media, oh, yeah. trying to get the show up. And uh, I said, oh, okay, I'm just doing a bit of fun. And all the stuff we went on about, you know, the actors, it was all, you know, and I, I, I think it was, the whole thing was pretty ordinary. From my point of view, as as a as a person being the supposed host and pitching, but the thing that got Channel Seven, and the thing that got the deal through was this: there was one guy at the end of the table. He was an actor. They're all pretending to be a certain type of personality. The guy at the end of the table had, like, was unshaven, hadn't maybe hadn't shaved for three days. He had black hair, dark, swarthy-looking guy, and a, but he had a very thick mustache over this stubble. In other words, he he'd grown a mustache, but then grew some stubble underneath it. And he had that sort of uh, Mexican look. And he was playing a role. I can't remember the role, what he was playing as actor, but it was really pissing me off. It was annoying me. It sort of aggravated me. And because I had nothing to lose or gain, I was just doing it for fun because I wasn't working at the time. I just sold the wizard business and everything. And uh, Fenno was asking me, you know, just do it. I thought, oh, yeah, I have a crack at this. And the thing that got Channel 7 is I turned to this guy and I looked at him and I said, after he said something that was really annoying, obviously the aggravation was on my face. I said, mate, you look like a fucking Mexican. And with that, that one line is the thing that got Channel 7 over the, the, over the line because they thought, I think what they thought to themselves is Boris doesn't mind saying it as it is, yeah. telling it the way it is. He doesn't mind swearing. He doesn't really give a shit. Yeah. And that's what got 7 interested in the show. It ended up going to 9 for a whole lot of reasons. But – I think that one line, and it wasn't produced. By the way, I didn't even think about it. It just came out of my mouth because that's how I normally speak uh, because he was annoying the shit out of me. I mean, I can hold back my annoyance for a certain amount of time and then after a period of time I just lose it. And I, I don't lose it in a bad way, but I, I say what I think. And it's interesting what you say, the truth and being natural as opposed to sort of me pretending to be Donald Trump or pretending, no. pretending to be Sir Alan Sugar. Just be yourself. Can't work. Yeah, and you've got to be natural at it. Yeah, you and, can only be you. And correct. When you're authentic, people feel it yeah. from you. You know, you could be an amazing actor, and maybe you are, but you'd have to be really amazing. Yeah. But you do, you just want people who are authentically themselves because you know what you're getting. And if you're angry and authentic, people are fine with it. Yeah, because they know that happens. Liars. Yeah. They know it. They know it happens. Um, but like, it's sort of, I, I never forget that when Fantasy Ramey said, oh, mate, oh, I said, how'd it go? He said, oh, well, it was okay. He said, but they want to do it, he said, because they love that one line. Yeah. Um, and it's the sort of thing, by the way, I could see you producing from somebody because I got to know you later on. And and I've never, I never really thought about it back then. I've sort of since thought about it, but since thought about it, since I've done a lot of TV since. But those, the things that people who aren't involved in pitching all the time or television or production like you are, I don't think they realise. I think they're thinking what everybody wants to hear from them is – Average, bland, no. sensitized, white noise, sanitized, straight down the middle stuff. Yeah. When in actual fact, they want something either the left or the right. You want the exact opposite. I have um, in the edit suites, because on something like the Celebrity Apprentice or the X Factor, we would have 12 edit suites going. And on the wall of each one, I would have what I call the no shit Sherlock statements. So on the X Factor, it'd be, I really want to win this. 
I'm going to give it 110%. This is the most important day of my life. This is not my time to go. I'm nervous but excited, which is what everybody says, those three words. Mm. And I would put them on the wall and I'd say, we never say this. And on the wall, I would also write, we are the number one show. This is our mission statement. We're not number two. When we run this race, we're crossing the finish line first and no one is going to beat us. Do you understand? Mm. And then you give them the tools. You say, so when someone says, I'm nervous but excited, ask why five times. Just ask more questions. Why? You know, I've never sung in public before. Why? My parents don't want me to sing. Are they here today? Yeah, they are actually. Do they know you're here? No, they don't know you're here. So where are they? They're at the, see those couple there? Yeah. So we would then go and say, oh, we're doing some interviews. How come you're here today? Anyone you know singing? No. How'd you get the tickets? I'm a kid. Sing? No, no, it doesn't sing. And suddenly you have the start of a story. But you only get that when you ask, why? And lazy producers, I've got nervous but excited. Dead noise, yeah. white noise. You don't hear it. You need to know. There was a girl on Big Brother, another chick that I really love. She has a podcast uh, called Constance. And Constance walked in. I gave her the same brief. Don't tell me you're a people person. Don't tell me you're the life and soul of the party. Tell me why you're different, why you're different to all the other people out there. And she said, I'm not a people person. Don't really like people. You know, I find them really disappointing. Even friends disappoint me. They say they're going to do something. They never do it. I mean, literally, could have run over and hugged her. You go, yeah, she's authentic. She's real. She doesn't actually like people. She was straight into the house. She was straight back out again. But we always say someone has to leave first. (laughs) Maz, we're going to go to the break and I'm going to come back and we're going to uh, just talk more about this because I I, I want to talk when I come back about the business side of what you're doing too. You know, what's your objective? Brilliant. Where do you want to take it? I think our audience now understands the background and the, the where you get your skills from is life experiences. Yeah. But you are now applying it to helping people build their pitch. Who are the people that you are – or how do you help the people? Do you charge them? How's it work? Is it an online process? Do, you get, do they come and see you? Do you have a, a big seminar, a pitch day? How do you do it? Well, it started off um, with us – and I think it was at Channel 9 with Adrian Swift, you know. Yeah. Lovely, Adrian. And he said, I like it when you guys come in because you either bring champagne or you bring shortbread. And whether I like the show or not, I like the pitch. People must be very good at pitching. Nah, they're really bad. And then we were in the ABC and the guy in there said, tell me about people pitching. He said, they are effing woeful. As in fucking woeful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. And we started to chat about it. We said, maybe we should help people. And uh, a lady called Bridget May was running um, Screen Territory uh, Grants and I don't know her official title. Um, but she spoke to us and she said, would you come and teach people how to pitch? Like, yeah. And we just call it an unfair advantage. So we would help them create a one-pager, be able to describe their show in a sentence. And we also did lots of development with them. And we'd say, you know, it's a dull show, but if you did this, you know, people might buy it. Um, and we're very clear. You know, you have a great headline, you have a great visual, you have to be able to describe it in a sentence. You have to tell us why now, why you? And we talk about being a safe pair of hands. And we always say this to people, imagine you have to have an operation and you go in and you meet the specialist and they're sitting in a bikini smoking a fag and they go, yeah, I don't need work. I'm all right. I have a few of these. We'll be fine. Or you walk in and they're wearing a white coat and they say, they call me Appendix Maz. Never lost anyone. I'm amazing at this. Who do you want to pick up the scalpel? Mm. You want the person in the white coat. When you walk into that room, you've got to be wearing a white coat. Because when I walk into a room, I'm asking for conservatively about $15 million. And you're terrified to give it to me. You're scared. Mm. But then, you know, my pitch uh, when I work with Alison is I say, you know, when you're watching TV and you see all those rating juggernauts, number one shows, big reality ones, cost of fortune, number one. And you just think there is nothing but that reality shit on TV. I make that shit. Mm. But I also wrote Q&A for the ABC. So actually, you know, I communicate. And I tell people that because I want them to know that people give me tens of millions. And they don't give it to me because they like me. You know, I'm foreign. I'm a middle-aged woman. If there's anyone else they'll give it to, they will give it to them before me. (laughs) It's the truth. 
But I have a white coat and the white coat is number one show after number one show after number one show after number one show. That's my white coat. I go, look, you know, I've done this before. You know, I've done the singing show. I've done the cooking show. Double the figures on this one. 25% increase on that one. You know, we make them feel very safe. You've got to explain why you, why now? Why does it need to be made? And this applies to everything in life. It applies to you going for a job, going dating, pitching a service, going for venture capital. What you put up on LinkedIn, what you put up on your Facebook, what you put up on your Instagram, the whole lot of them. The full works, every detail. Every detail. Because pitching has become much more important now in all all the mediums, all the media that exists today. All of a sudden, they're all pitching. There's a pitch in every one of them. Oh, yeah. And we say to people as well, you know, you're constantly on. You're never off. So if I bumped into you and I was looking for venture capital and you said, you know, mate, mate, what have you been up to? I go, I'll tell you what, Mark, I want my good night's sleep. Just started my own business. I'm, you know, booked all over the country. It's fantastic. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing bitching at pitching. We opened at Screen Forever. You know, so much business. Uh, And we're looking for venture capital at the moment. And actually, I'm pitching you. You know, and we do it all the Without time. an invitation. Yeah, and you've got to because that's prime real estate. Yeah. I mean, the reality is what I do with you is I call you and I go, Mark, can you write me a reference? <laughs> yeah. And what is beautiful about you is two minutes later you send it to me, which is the greatest Well, I wouldn't do that for everybody. Because you're you. so busy and I really appreciate it. But we are, we're on all the time. And you might think you're not, but you are. And every time you put your hand in the wardrobe and people say, you know, I just, I, I just look the way I look. No, you're branding yourself. Every time you put your hand in that wardrobe, you're telling the world who you are. And Mark Zuckerberg will say, I just wear a hoodie. Why? Because he wants you to think he's too busy being intellectual Mm. to even think about clothes. But he chose really carefully. He could be wearing an Armani suit, but he wants to say, I'm a man of the people. Mm. I just wear a hoodie. I just say, hoodie. I'm the hoodie guy. Mm. You know, Steve Steve Jobs, always in a black polo neck. Mm. I mean, he thought about it. He would have spoken to a million people about it. What should I wear? Just wear black. You know, it's serious, it's cool, polar necks, a bit beat neck. You know, you look like a rebel. You want to look like a rebel, don't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I want to look like a rebel. I mean, so carefully thought out. If you are not thinking about your brand, you better start right now. Because the moment you walk into that room, I've already judged you. Yeah, and we are judgmental instinctively. We have to be. Whether we try not to be or not. But Mark, someone's asking you to give them money or time. And when they deliver a really good one minute, that minute buys another minute. Okay, tell me why a minute. Why one minute? Why do you try – is it just one minute or you, you teach them how to do two minutes? Or No, we say really – we're quite brutal. We say you have a 30-second ad hmm. and an ad is not information. It's sexy information. And if you deliver a really good ad, um, we say this uh, to people and don't judge us. I actually judge away. I don't care. Uh, we say I should want to shag you at the end of that. I should think you're so smart, so yeah. clever, and I should, I should want to be in your light – I should want to be with you. I should want to give you money. There's a beautiful story that uh, you will have heard, but just for the benefit of um, any listeners who haven't. Hundreds uh, of thousands, by the way. Millions. Um, they should all be listening because you're very smart. Um, and it's Abraham Lincoln was looking out the window and his uh, stable hands were trying to push a calf into a barn. And we tell this story on every gig we do. And the, star, the um, calf didn't want to go in. And the stable hands wanted the calf to go in, but the calf didn't want to go in, so it didn't go in. And his Irish maid came in, and she looks out the window with him. She goes, what are they doing? He said, they're trying to get the calf in, but the calf doesn't want to go in. She said, I'd get the calf in. Said, no, 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 you won't. Look at them, big, strong blokes. You're not going to. And she went down, she looked at the calf, and she thought, what does the calf want? No, I know what I want the calf to do. What does the calf want? Actually, it doesn't want to go in there because it's dark, it's a bit afraid. She just wants mum. Mm. So she stuck her fingers in the calf's mouth and led the calf into the barn. And that's what we do in television. And that's what, you know, if you're smart in business, you do. You get people to do what you want them to do, but they've got to feel like they want to do it. The calf didn't want to go in, wanted its mum. I'm going to make you think that I'm your mum. I'm going to lead you in. And we but, say Can I ask you this? Is that, do, you, do, you, do you think it's manipulative or just intuitive? I mean, how do you justify it? I think... And I don't think it's manipulative. If the calf didn't want to go in, it wouldn't. Yeah. You know, we want people to watch TV. And I remember I had a crisis one day sitting with Tim Tony, who was the other person running Big Brother one day. And I said, what are we doing, Tim? What are we doing with our lives? You know, we're smart people. What are we 
doing here, sitting on the Gold Coast in an office making Big Brother? Well, yeah, working with political parties or something. And he said, there are nurses and there are doctors and there are minors and there are teachers who need some entertainment when they get home. And that's what they want. That's what business you're in. Yeah. And we're in the entertainment business. Mm. And we engage you and we make you forget about, you know, your kid's a bit crook or you don't have enough money or whatever it is. And you need that release. And it did make me feel better. And I think in business, you know, I'm not in the business of fibbing to anyone ever. And you know that because you've mm-hmm. worked with me. Um, but I want to make a really top quality show. And I think when you don't do that, that's when you're in trouble. That's dishonest. You know, my job is to to tell the truth about everyone. I show, you know this, you know, we show what's and all and people mm. criticise me and say, why did you show that? And I go, because it happened. And at the beginning of every reality show, I give people the talk of doom because I think you need to know this because I'm a very responsible producer. And I say, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be too famous to go back to your job, but not famous enough to be famous. So you probably won't work for two or three years. You think you will, you won't. People will see you in a pub or a restaurant and you think that they will like you, but they will point at you the way you have in the past and they'll say, there's that wanker off the telly and it's you, but you don't think it will be. You think that you'll be the Fitzy or the Chrissy or the yeah. someone who makes yeah. it. Yeah. But you know what? You probably won't because most people don't. If you have slept with anyone, you had a threesome, that would be front page of the papers yeah. and you don't think anyone cares. Thank God. It's, I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but... You've got to be really responsible yeah, and yeah, tell yeah. people. And yeah, I say, no, totally. Go home, have a think about it, come in tomorrow and tell me if you really want this. Because if you're in a relationship, it probably will fail when you do this because you'll be flirting with so-and-so and your missus will see it, or your hubby will see it, and they won't like it. Because no one sees you 24 hours a day. No one does. Yeah. Only you. Yeah. And it holds a big mirror. And also the big thing is you will think that I have cut the show in a certain way to show you in a bad light. But if you're not drunk, I can't show you drunk. And if you're not fighting, I cannot show you fighting. If you do it, I'll show it. But we're also really responsible. So, you know, we have a delay and you take things out. Because if someone said, my sister uh, was having an affair, her husband never knew. And actually the marriage survived. Your sister isn't here. I can't broadcast that. You know, it's, it's not okay. So you have to have, I think we actually have a very heightened code of conduct because we realise we are working with people's lives. And whilst it's a TV show, the moment they walk out the door, they're back in reality, they're back in their real lives. And you have an absolute responsibility. So we psych test everyone before. Uh, We uh, make sure the psych watches them all the way through and we have a psych available at the end of it. So anyone on Big Brother, if they want to speak to the psych 10 years on, they can. Yeah, the same as the show we're doing at the moment. You've got to have a psychs. You have because to. Because people, people get their heads messed up. But I want to get Maz to just, Maz, how do people, how do I get people to you? So what do you want to say to me? What question do you want, want me to ask, ask you, to, you to build a business up? No, 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 no. Uh, just to get awareness first and then ask me my, then a question, uh, just a general question about business to me. But first, what question do I ask you that you say that would help your business? Um, strangely, I think the question that I would like to ask you Helps my business. Okay, go for it. So I'll ask you now. Um, Maz, what question do you want to ask me? Well, I want to ask you a very selfish question, which is all about my business. So I've started this business with my friend Alison, I've worked with forever, and it's called Black and Farrelly. Her surname is Black, my surname is Farrelly. And it's particularly for corporates. So we do lots of stuff in the TV world and we've done it. We've just, we've been around the country, we've taught everyone that we think we can, and we love doing it, but we want to take our skills into the corporate world. And I want to know, given that you are possibly the only person I know who has a foot in both camps, what do you think we can bring to the corporate world? So I think we can make meetings more interesting, internal comms, messaging, uh, the elevator pitch, but I wanted to know, because... You're in business. I want to know skills you think we can bring to business. I, I think the the most important skill we can like just to take a proper boardroom meeting, like a, which I you know I chair on a number of things. Um, I think the the process of say you ha- if you got someone like me and you sat me down and sort of said, Mark, I said to you, look, Marion, I got a I got a board board meeting, really important one. I'm because every board meeting as chairman, you are pitching something, yeah. Or at least three or four times a year, you're pitching a new strategy or something or other. Um, and these guys, 
generally speaking to the, a lot of the meetings I go to, they're boring as hell. Yeah. because they're not pitching exactly the sort of things that you're talking about. They're not going to get up and say, look, I'm a lesbian or whatever. That's no, not what we're talking about. But 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 the actual story, why they think something will work in the beginning of their pitch is extremely important. So I think most business people who operate in corporate environments, like the big banks, the big telcos, organizations like mine, where everything is sanitized and structured and no one says – you know, no one says anything outside the, 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 the structure. I think all those individuals who hold strategy meetings, all those individuals who hold meetings where they're trying to change the course of a business, yeah. they need to understand how to make a pitch. Now, it might not be a minute, but it'd be the first minute of the pitch. Maybe call it the first minute as opposed to a minute pitch. But because, you know, a lot of these guys will talk for 10, 15 minutes. But they lose every – well, they don't get everybody in the first minute. Yeah. You've got to hook them in. You've got to hook them in. And I think in the corporate world, I think all these individuals need training. And nobody actually offers this. So most of the organizations offer media training. Yeah. But it's dreadful. Like they media train people to be able to stand in front of a camera. They media train it out of you. But it's, it's not – media training, I've seen them do it. It's not yeah. – I don't know what it is. They it's, media train your personality – out of you. And when people say, you know, speak at one pitch all the time, don't. Raise your voice. Totally. Speed up. Slow down. And you change know, language. Make a point. Put some colour into it, some yeah. theatre. So, I mean, the, th- the thing that I think, it, as long as you market it properly and get to the right organisations, I think if you could, and I think a lot of it depends on you, to be honest with you, the pitching what you're, you need to tell them, because you bring all this colour and interest yourself in theatre. Um, I think that Organizations, take Macquarie Bank for example. I, mean, I shouldn't be saying because they're my partner, but Macquarie Bank is—it's uh, a great business, a great organization, really innovative, etc. But when it comes to the way they present themselves, in my view, it's not innovative. Yeah. Yet they are intellectually very innovative, and they need to get that message across in their brand, both in their advertising, but right through the whole business internally, and. Someone like you and your team, just you, they, don't, they, don't, they won't accept you coming and telling them about the strategy. That, that, that's not the point. What you want to do is reduce the introduction down to – you want to get one minute of their 20-minute uh, strategy discussion. That first minute, you want to put some color and some energy and some interest into it. You don't even have to understand the strategy. Yeah. AG, annual general meetings when chairman and directors are pitching to be re-voted in. I mean, it could be everybody wants to get rid of them. But but if, if, but, but if all of a sudden you make it interesting, yeah. you go, oh, shit, hang on. That was interesting. Mm. And you just got to interrupt the, the, the flow of thought of the people who are the shareholders who might be there very, ready to vote against you or give you a hard time. So I think that, you know, I, I haven't sort of structured it well for you, but I think that you and your team could take the theatre, which is what TV is, the theatre, into boardrooms and into corporations and into strategy meetings and help them have that one minute of interest without it being glitzy glammy it's interest yeah i think the thing that's interesting because allison makes uh blue chip uh high-end documentaries so i do the showbiz and she does the government policy changing shows. well government's a no-brainer i know our, our prime minister and i've had our treasurer in here too yes you know, they're politicians okay that's not their game. But you know what? We had a meeting with um, a government department recently, uh, this really cool woman, and at the end of it she said, uh, so what else do you do? Because we were saying, you know, we're going to make this show about dementia and, you know, if you're interested in investing in it, you know, blah, blah. And she said, what else do you do? I said, well, look, here's the funny thing. I get people to vote. I get people to vote mm. for outcomes that don't affect them for people they don't know, and they pay to do it. That's how good we are at messaging, and we're and I get exactly what you mean. So you're it's, winning. Tri- you're get your government need to win votes. Yeah. TV needs do. to win votes. Yeah. Television show needs to win votes. Um, board members need to win votes. CEOs need to win votes. Chairmen yeah. need to win votes, and you're in the vote winning game. There's one thing you need to do, and that is you've got to get people to care. You have to get people to care, and that's what we do on TV. We get you to care about those people. We get you to care about them. And when you care, you'll take action. 
We did the thing with Australian Post recently. I know that everyone has a life and has to go off, but I'll tell you this very quickly. And uh, this uh, chick had written a speech and she said, I don't think it's very interesting. And I read it and I said, I'll be honest with you. You are the best critic in the world. It's not very interesting. Tell me about a letter. Just tell me what your core business is, because I think you might be the only company in Australia that walks down every street. I don't think anyone else does. She went, yeah, we do. We go to every street in Australia. How many fingerprints are on that letter that I put in a mailbox and sent to Mark? How many fingerprints are on it from Australia Post people? And she said, 35 people will have gotten that from you to Mark. Oh my God, that's beautiful. 35 people come into work to deliver that. So my letter, the picture that my kids drawn for Granny, 35 people get it to Granny. And I said, that's your story. It's not, you know, about... It should be the straight post ad. But it should. Yeah. And, you know, and you've but got they were to never get thought people about to it, care. Yeah, you know, you've got to know what your core business is. You have to know what your core business is. And you've got to get people to care about it. And when you tell those stories, people care. You know, the Uber ad recently said, uh, we're going to charge a dollar on every trip. You kind of go, it's an outrage. Until they add this line. Because some people have invested their life savings. They're doing it tough. Yeah. And you think, I'll tell you what, take two dollars. Yeah, correct. Those nine words change the whole tone of that and they make me care and they make me fine about giving you a dollar. And if you get people to care about your business and you, you'll win and you'll beat the competition. Marion Fowley, got to go. Thanks awesome. So much. I love it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.